0: Kyle was a uh, youth group student that I had in Kalamazoo when I was youth pastoring there. Kyle was the kind of kid who who did not take shortcuts, but would do things the right way, even if it meant having to do things the long way. He had a patience to do that. So I remember the year that uh, I, I took youth group students hiking in Colorado. So this was from Kalamazoo and we went out to Colorado and hiked in the mountains and going up the mountains, but Kyle was sort of that outdoor sportsman type and he wanted to go fishing there. So he did the work ahead of time of getting by mail, yeah, it was long enough ago, we did things by mail back then, getting by mail a Colorado fishing license and gathering the equipment he would need for fishing gear that would carry in a backpack and had his heart set on that, that when we go and do that mountain climbing trip up in the Colorado mountains, he was going to go fishing. While we were up there too, so did all that work in preparation. Three days into the mountain, as we're hiking, we get to a place where there's a mountain lake. This is just below 11,000 feet, so it's right at the tree line going there, and and it's kind of near the source where the snowmelt is feeding it. But I wasn't sure there was going to be fish that high up, but Kyle was determined. We got to this camping spot by about lunchtime, and it was a time for all the students to just relax and hang out and explore a little bit. Kyle spent hours that afternoon fishing the lake, nothing, coming up empty, didn't quit, stayed at it, hours. In the end, he got what he came for, well, sort of. He caught two rainbow trout, yeah, maybe about six inches, but but he did it. He was patient. He did what he needed to do and endured, and it paid off. And I will tell you what, that three days of hiking in where what we're carrying in our backpack is just that freeze-dried food mixed stuff, three days in to have a meal where even there's just a little bite of fish that we make and cleaned and cooked over the fire there, that tasted so good, just the little nibble that everyone got. Kyle was patient to see that through. Didn't take the easy way around, but said, I'm going to stick with it till I get the result that I'm looking for. Something about that followed him, too, because after high school, Kyle went to Kelvin uh, University here in town, and after graduating Kelvin University, he started his own business in the beverage industry and takes that same mindset of patience and doing things the long way, taking the long road when it's needed to get there took that same thing into his business that he does, too. In fact, that's what he named his business, the Long Road Distillery. And it's here in Grand Rapids on the north end of town. And it's given that name for that reason, because Kyle is the kind of guy who says, I'm not going to take shortcuts. I'm going to take the long road and do it right, even if, even if it means having to have patience to get there patience. That's what we're going to be talking about today in this series on fruit of the Spirit as we go through this. And we've looked at some of this before. This is, this comes from Galatians 5 where we read about the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Today, and we're going to be looking at a passage from Proverbs, Proverbs 19. Now, I don't preach from Proverbs all that often, so let me, before I read the passage, let me give you just a little bit of a snippet of how Proverbs work. So that as we read this, maybe you understand and follow what's happening in this passage, okay? Proverbs are these wise sayings that come from, I mean, a lot of these times we think in the Bible, it comes from Solomon, who's the wise king, right? That he writes a lot of these proverbs. And many of the proverbs that are in the book of Proverbs do come from Solomon. But here's the thing that I want you to notice, right? There's a formula that takes place in Proverbs. It's the better than formula. Often in Proverbs, two things are compared with one being better than the other. Sometimes they're diametrically opposed, right? One thing is bad, another thing is good. Sometimes they're things where, you know what, these both seem all right, but one is better than the other. But notice that as we go through this, that there are these better than formulas that take place in this passage. So, this comes from Proverbs 19, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses. It says this. Better the poor whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. Desire without knowledge is not a good thing. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will not go free. Many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of the one who gives gifts. The poor are shunned by all their relatives. How much more do their friends avoid them? Though the poor pursue them with pleading, they're nowhere to be found. The one who gets wisdom loves life, The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will perish. It's not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. How much worse for a slave to rule over princes? A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. A king's rage is like a lion's roar, but his favor is like dew on the grass. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Patience. What this means for us is God's people to be patient, right? All right, I put the entire thing on the screen now. I know maybe you can't read that. It was all on the slides that we just went by, but I, I want to help us out with Proverbs So I'm going to point out some structure in these 12 verses so that you can dig this out because otherwise, you know, maybe I read through these things and they just sort of come off as these one-off statements, right? Oh, this and then that, and where is he going next, and I don't understand. So let me spend a little bit of time. Here's what we'll do today, all right? A little bit of time with some, well, some Bible study. We're going to figure out how the Bible puts this one together so that it makes sense. And then we'll get to what this has to say about Patience for us. Patience as a spiritual fruit, as something God plants inside of us that we bear something productive out of that. Okay? So that's the roadmap for today that we're going through. Patience as a spiritual fruit. It's not really a self-help seminar that I'm doing here, right? Uh, Maybe we think of patience that way. Oh, yeah. I admire people who have that gift of patience. Who doesn't admire people like that? Sometimes I wish I could be a person who had more of that patience and have that. But we're going to go one step further. Not just how patience is helpful for, for us, for me, but how patience is something that produces an outcome for others as well. In other words, the spiritual fruit of patience is not about what patience does for you. It is about what patience does through you. It produces a result. All right? Little Bible study. Here we go. So here's how this one breaks down. We did 12 verses, right? And, and the, the Hebrew language is so poetic and nuanced that you've got this in many different ways. I read it from the newer NIV version. If you're using those Bibles that are in the chairs there, that's the older NIV version. And Maybe you said, huh, those words don't all line up right. If you read the one that we have printed in the bulletin, those words are even different yet because there's so many ways that you can interpret the words of this passage in different contexts. I want us to see the richness of that as we go through it. Here's the structure that this goes with in these 12 verses. The first three verses are sort of an introduction meaning that verses 1 and verses 3 are parentheses, and verse 2, which I've highlighted up there on the top, is a main point. That's sort of the theme right there in verse 2, where it says, desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? Or if you're reading that older NIV version that's in the chairs, it doesn't say desire, it says zeal. Or if you're following in the bulletin, it says enthusiasm. Right? All these different ways to capture that word, and I'll get to that. Then, there's a block of four verses that sort of form their own little vignette. Verses four, five, six, and 7. A little vignette about riches and wealth and relationships. Verse 8 comes back to the theme. It's sort of a pivot verse. The same theme as verse 2. And then the last four verses that come after that, 9, 10, 11, 12, that's another vignette, another example that plays out of that, this time an example involving rulers and authority and power. All right, that's the structure. That's how this one's all laid out. It's not just this one-off statement, one after another after another. Nope, verses 2 and 8 are the ones that we need to be especially mindful of in this. That's where we really pull out what the theme of this one is, all right? There's a little bit of Bible study to run with that. And here's how it goes. In verse 2, it's stated in the negative. Here's what a lack of wisdom looks like. Here's what it looks like when you don't have patience. And then in verse 8, it's flipped around to state positively. And here's what it looks like to be a person who does have wisdom, who does have patience. So verses 2 and 8 are where it's at. Now, I want to draw attention particularly to one word. And I know there's a lot of Hebrew going on in here, but I'm just going to leave us one that is meaningful in this. It's the Hebrew word nefesh. And it's it's interpreted in our Bible that, well, in verse 2, it comes across in the version that I read as desire. If you're looking at another Bible, it may be zeal. If you're looking at the print in the bulletin there, it's enthusiasm. But the Hebrew word nefesh means more than that. It's also the reference for soul and life. It also happens to refer to a piece of physical anatomy. It's the neck, the throat. All of that is captured in this one Hebrew word, nefesh. And it's it's sort of their idea of where the passions and emotions come from in the Hebrew way of thinking. That when you are suddenly caught and overwhelmed with emotion, right the kind of emotion that just sweeps over you, you know the kind of emotion that, um, it's not just a feeling, but you actually physically embrace it. You know that kind of emotion? You feel it in your body? That's nefesh. But they also attach that with life and the soul. It's that thing that makes you distinctively human to have that soul and that life and that passion within you. It's that thing that God gives you that makes you what you are. That, all of that is wrapped up in nefesh. And they also attach that to throat or neck. Now, this may not be too far off for us to understand either, right? Because think about a few of our English Idioms around this, right? If you are suddenly overcome with an emotion that empowers you or overpowers you, sometimes we think of that as, well, an idiom like this. I I get a lump in my throat, right? When you get choked up with some emotion like that. Or when something is so scary or so frightening it raises the hairs on the back of my neck. So we're not that far off, right? I I think the Hebrew culture and language even of thousands of years ago understood a little something about this. That's helpful for us today. But that one Hebrew word pulls all of that together in this passage. That's important for us to see as it comes to us in this, that the Hebrew word nefesh is central to this. And it comes as showing us that nefesh, desire, zeal, enthusiasm, without understanding, without knowledge, is not good. Bad things happen when we are people who are running on passion, emotion, zeal, enthusiasm, but there's no understanding. There's no knowledge. There's no wisdom in that. That's what's coming at us in verse 2. And then the second line of verse 2, which states it that way as well, right? That how we put it in the print of the bulletin there. Haste makes mistakes. Or the New English translation of the Bible says it this way. The one who acts hastily makes poor choices. Nefesh without patience, has bad results. Nefesh, that thing that makes us distinctively human, it's a gift from God, but take away patience from that and it doesn't bring us to good places. That's where this proverb is leading us into and talking about patience and connecting it with this Hebrew idea of nefesh and what that means. A lack of patience has a bad outcome. So that comes to us in verse 2. Then that first little vignette takes place there, 4, 5, 6, and 7, and it's about wealth and relationships that go around with that. And we'll we'll get back to that one in a little bit, right, what that means. Then it comes back to the theme again in verse 8, and this time it's positive, right? The one who gets wisdom will prosper. Gets, as in um, acquires. The one who acquires wisdom loves life. Life. Hang on. We saw that word. In fact, it's the same Hebrew word. Nefesh. It's back again. So, the one who lacks patience, the one who lacks knowledge, the one who lacks wisdom, nefesh is a bad thing. The one who gets wisdom the one who gets patience, the one who acquires understanding. Now, nephesh turns out to be a good thing, produces a good result. It is something that is a benefit to us. And the one who holds on to this wisdom finds goodness. Now, it says in our Bibles that, that the one who who acquires this wisdom, will prosper. Let's not think of prosper as in the normal terms of prosperity. It's not like, oh, you're going to make a lot of money and be successful in what you do. That's not what's going on in this passage. Prosper there is actually two Hebrew words. Matzah, meaning find or discover, and tov, meaning good or goodness. The one who finds this understanding, the one who finds this wisdom, the one who finds the way to unlock all the good things of Nefesh discovers goodness. Discovers what is good. Finds what is good. All of that connected then with this idea of patience. That second vignette that comes at the end then, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, some references to patience that come at us in that one. Patience is what helps Patience is what produces constructive renewal when it comes upon us, right? The way that it's stated there in verse 11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense, meaning it's refreshing to not seek revenge, right? To to not lash out in revenge in that moment where the passion, the enthusiasm, maybe washes over us, overtakes us. It's to your benefit to have patience there. In verse 12, the king's rage is like the roar of a lion, right, the lion, the predator that devours. But his favor is like dew on the grass. Patience then refreshes and restores and renews those around us. When nephesh, goes the right way, produces the right result. So let's talk about that. Let's talk a little bit about what patience is and how that comes to us, okay? Because patience, I think we need to define in certain ways. Patience is more than just waiting. It's not just waiting. Sometimes we think of that. Oh, be patient, just wait. Well, you know, there is such a thing as waiting impatiently, right? It's, it's not just the act of pausing That creates patience. But it's what you do with that pause. Because sometimes action is required. Let's be clear about that, right? If, If I'm inside a burning building, that's not a moment for patience. That's a moment for get out, right? There are times when action is always going to be required. Patience is not just waiting. It's about the constructive renewal that takes place when we have that pause. I want to name that. Let's name that as it comes through this proverb and as it applies to the spiritual fruit of patience. What exactly is that result that comes from patience? Here's the name that I'm going to give to it. Measured perspective. Patience produces a measured perspective. It gives the space in my life to allow me the the space to take a step back and consider multiple points of view. Right? Think about it. When we are overwhelmed and overswept by passion and emotion and sometimes rage, nobody else's point of view matters. It's just what I'm thinking and I'm being driven of in the moment and I plow through with that. Patience. The pause to say, but... Is there another way to see this? Do other people experience whatever the issue may be differently than I experience it? Is there another point of view that I have not considered? That measured perspective comes from patience, from pause. The pause that's appropriate in the right time and the right place to ask the questions How do other people see it, experience it, feel it, react to it? What can I learn from others in situations around me that perhaps may be different than my perspective, my point of view, my way of looking at it? Patience gets us there. Patience helps us to discover that. Patience unlocks that wisdom and understanding, and knowledge that the Proverbs is talking about to get us that perspective in that. So we see that it takes patience to put our own thoughts and feelings and emotions on pause every now and then in order to take in the thoughts and feelings and emotions of another. A pause for that perspective Look again back at that first vignette, right? Verses four, five, six, and 7. This strange saying about the rich person whose friends are just trying to get favor. All right, here's what it's not saying. It's not saying that all the friendships of rich people are hollow and shallow. It's not saying that. It is saying that the rich person who is wise, the rich person who has wisdom, The rich person who uses patience will have the discernment, the pause to look at the perspectives and know who among my friends are genuine friends, right? That their motives are pure and not just trying to take what I have. Patience gives us those perspectives that bring us that way. A measured perspective that does that. Now, let let me say a little bit more about this measured perspective because sometimes we think, oh, yeah, fine, I can do that. But, But let's look at maybe some of the things that bump in the way. Let's recognize that measured perspective takes humility. Humility. Because a measured perspective is a perspective in which I come into a situation or an issue and I have to ask the question, How do other people see this in a way that maybe I don't see it? I don't know everything. Or maybe consider, what if my perspective is the wrong perspective? What if I'm the one who needs correcting? You see, there's a hint of humility that goes along with patience. That patient people also are humble people. Because a measured perspective requires some humility to know and to understand and recognize that maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe there is another way of seeing it. Maybe, in fact, I'm wrong about a thing or two. Wow, our world could use some more of that now, huh? Some more people who take the pause to say, what if the one way I'm looking at it is not the only way of looking at it? A pause to remind myself that that we live in a world where it is so easy to just back up into an echo chamber, right? Surround myself with only the voices I want to hear that tell me what I want to hear and what I think is right. And whenever somebody presents a point of view that butts against that, my immediate reaction is shout them down, not let me consider what do they have to say. Is there something to that we could use in our world Some more patient people who embrace that measured perspective. Let's take this one a step further, okay? And what it means for us to have that measured perspective. And and let me just ask the question, how does God do this? Does God have a measured perspective? Maybe the question sounds kind of silly. Well, he's God, he's all-knowing. His perspective is the right perspective because God is perfect. He's holy, right? Can God even have a measured perspective in seeing things a different way and viewing things a little differently? Well, let's, let's bring back in that word, right? That nefesh word that's so critical to this proverb. A measured perspective keeps me open to God's Nefesh, God's passion, God's desire, God's enthusiasm, God's zeal, God's life, God's soul, the thing that makes God who God is, right? Measured perspective opens me to that. What is God's nefesh? So how does God meet us in that? What, what is God's measured perspective in that? Well, let me, let me jump back to, we looked at the Hebrews all through the season of Lent. Here's what it says in Hebrews 4 about Jesus and his measured perspective. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest, who is unable to empathize with our weakness but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin let us then approach god's throne with grace of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need that god himself that jesus Jesus came to live as one of us, to be one of us, that Jesus, catch this now, Jesus sets aside his own nefesh in order to embrace your nefesh, your life, your soul. Jesus put aside his own glory, his own majesty, his own authority, and humbled himself so that he would know what our life entails. He would know it. A measured perspective. The Apostle Peter talks about this as well, but, and, and he brings in the word patience to remind us of how patience is connected. Right? This comes from 2 Peter 3, where Peter says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting any one of you to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That God himself embraces this spiritual fruit of patience so that we may be people who bear that spiritual fruit of, imp- of patience. So we go into this week then considering Oh, wherever it is you go, right? The job that you work, the school that you go to, the people that you hang around with, the family that you care for, the friends you connect with, all of those activities that take place. And we go recognizing that God has planted within each one of us nefesh, life, soul, desire, passion, enthusiasm, zeal. But God also plants within each one of us a seed, a seed of a spiritual fruit called patience, which gives us that opportunity, when it's right, to pause and say, what are the other perspectives? What are the other points of view? What are the ways I can back up and consider what life is like through somebody else's eyes, walking in somebody else's shoes, so that I can take the moment to recognize how it is that perhaps I've been given an opportunity to share a little bit of redemption into somebody else's world, to somebody else's life, to somebody else's day. God does that for each one of us so that we may grow that seed that God does that through us for others. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you instruct us, even with these ancient sayings of Proverbs. Thank you for the way that you remind us of how it is. You created us so uniquely and given us so much. God, we're sorry for the times when We have been so locked into our own perspectives and our own point of view that we push away others, others who we know you love as well. So, Lord, we pray today, grow that seed which produces the spiritual fruit of patience within us, that we may be people who sees others as you see them, and we may embrace the redemption that you bring in this world, not just for us, but for all who come to you. Lord, do your will and have your way. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand? I encourage you to make this song your prayer.